you know it's Mother's Day because of the calendar and also because your pastor wears a suit. That's a dead giveaway. And if, for those of you who weren't here um, early on, we're doing this, this photo frame thing. If, if you and your mom, you and your kids, you and your friends who are here with you want to just take a picture together and post it on social media, just do that. And to demonstrate how this works, I'd like to invite my mom up uh, because I, yeah, it's Mother's Day here. I, I really enjoy embarrassing my parents. They always say, we're just going to stop coming, but how will I embarrass you? So I'd like to <laughs> smile. All right. <laughs> so that's how that works. And then before, uh, we'll, we'll have that outside. Before I intro, Desiree and I are going to share some things today, but before we do that, um, there's also one other person I wanted to acknowledge in our service today, and that is somebody who just behind the scenes does so much work for us, and uh, non-paid, just a volunteer for years and years and years in a position many of you are, are touched by, and that is at the end of the year, each of you get a giving slip. And so I want to thank Joanne Sanderson for all of her years of tireless work here. We just had a little gift for you and Dennis. Come on up. It's much, but we just we just wanted to treat you guys to dinner at a local place. Give, I'll, okay, come up and I'll give give you a hug. Thank you so much. You guys don't even know all the work that she does just behind the scenes, putting together budgets, helping us uh, think through things on as a board, and it's just a phenomenal. Uh, uh, gift to have Joanna Dennis here with us, and so we just wanted to treat you guys to dinner just to say thank you for all the years of tireless service that you guys do. So let's give her a round of applause. Yeah. And I, and I know that she's also a person that doesn't necessarily like being pulled up in front, so, so we had to do that kind of secretively uh, under the cuff. So before we get started here, uh, Desiree and I were asked last week to go to a church in San Diego and share about our journey of foster to adopt. And so as we did that, uh, it's a church that's going to do this whole foster ministry, and, and it is really cool how they, they were going to do that. But um, as we sort of worked on developing this together, uh, we realized that uh, we've got something a little bit more here. We've got something that we could share with you today about mothers and Mother's Day. And so we took what we did last week, and we edited it down and changed it a lot, and and tried to figure out this whole, what does it mean to be a mom on mission? And every time I go and tell the story, everybody, some of you may know the story of Jacob, and some of you may not. Some of you might know bits and pieces of it. Every time I go tell the story, I'm like, uh, Desiree, uh, you know, I need dates, I need specifics. She's got them all. And every time I go to tell the story, I'm like, you just need to hear it from my wife because I do it no justice whatsoever. So I've asked her to tell you the story and I am going to sit back and try and be as quiet as possible, which is difficult. Um, and, and then I'm going to go through, and then you've got some notes in your bulletin. We're going to go through those notes together, and I'm going to, uh, she's going to tell a story, and I'm going to preach, right? All right. So Last week, they were, he was like, you know, Desiree doesn't want to be here talking. I don't know how he said, it's true. This terrifies me. But he said, she doesn't like to talk. And I just like smiled. I was like, <laughs> I totally like to talk. He just meant up in front. Yes. yes. So anyway, I appreciated that little, that little nice thing he said to me. But um, So our story with Jacob is kind of fun and exciting. It was, at least for me. Um, and it all started in August of 2013. And I still remember it 
just like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on the beach preparing for another year of women's ministry. We had a new season coming up, um, started in September, and I was just really asking God for some guidance, and I was just spending a little bit of time alone on the beach. I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old at the time, so alone time was not something, especially at the beach, that I got very often, but I was really enjoying that time, and I was just reading and praying about women's ministry, nothing about us or our lives or children, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me that there is a boy for you with medical needs, and I had no idea what he was talking about, and I wasn't even sure. I'm like, what? I mean, I just kind of felt this impression on my heart, like, you will adopt a child, and he will have medical needs, and it will be a boy, and I was super confused by that. I wasn't sure what was happening to me. I just kind of began praying through that, like, God, is this really you speaking this to me? Um, Please make this clear. You know, and I just continued to pray through that while I was sitting there on the beach. Actually, I have a picture, Becky, I took, or Josh, I took a picture that day because I just knew while I was sitting there that something was happening. I didn't know what it was. I posted on Instagram, like, oh, preparing for another year. Um, But I just knew in that moment, like, I need to record this moment because I felt something different. Um, And I just knew it was kind of a life-changing moment for me. So Dave comes strolling up with our two-year-old and our four-year-old, like the umbrella and the buckets and the snacks and the towels and chairs, you know. And I'm just like, he looks so cute. I'm just going to sit here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So he comes, like, strolling up with all this stuff. He gave me a couple extra minutes. We were staying down there. And I just kind of looked over at him, and I'm like, so... How do you feel about adoption? You know, and he's like, (laughs) and he's just like, sure. But anybody that knows Dave, that just really is kind of our personality. Just kind of like, that sounds great. You know, like more chaos. Great. I know. We we kind of call ourselves chaos junkies. Like we thrive in chaos. We kind of seek it out. (laughs) You know, it's like this life seems a little too easy right now. So, so I, I said, he's like, sure. That sounds great. And I'm like, okay. What do you think about a kid maybe with some medical needs? Dave was like, I, I, no, yeah, no. And I just was like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm, that's fine. I just dropped it, honestly. I just dropped it and moved on. And then here we are uh, two months later. It was October 18th. I remember it. We were on a walk pushing the girls in our big limo stroller, you know, that could carry all these people. And Dave and I were just talking about the future of our family and what it is that we want. Do we want any more children? Are we done having kids? What is it that we are hoping for our family. And so we're just strolling along, and Dave's like, well, how about adoption? And I was like, okay. And he said, foster care? We had friends who had adopted through foster care, and so we had seen the process. We knew that that was, well, we didn't, we hadn't talked about it, but in that moment, I was just like, sure. Um, And then we kept walking, and then we came home, and I called Department of Children and Family Services, and I set up an orientation for us. Um, And that was kind of our calling into foster care. We didn't have this big, long drawn-out discussion that we prayed over for years, and we talked about it. It was just like, sure, let's do it. You know, we had no no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's okay. Um, so it wasn't long into the process of being certified, which that takes um, just a lot of work and a lot of preparation, and you have to have people come into your home and inspect your home and just your family, and it's very long and tedious. And it wasn't long into that process that I just felt like, July. In July, your child will be ready for you. And I was not accustomed to the Holy Spirit speaking to me so clearly, um, and so I was confused by it, but I just knew, like, your baby will be ready for you in July. And I thought, okay, the baby will be born in July, and that's when we're going to have a baby. And so I'm just powering through 
I didn't say anything to Dave, but I just powered through the process. Um, and I just remember a couple times he's like, honey, you can slow down. This isn't a race. Because um, I'm like, you got your appointment tomorrow. And the kids have their, you know, I mean, I'm just, because we had to have physicals. And I was like, relax. Yeah, he You've was. You've got time. You've got yeah, all the time I'm like, you, I need to clean the grout. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah. We True. had people coming over our house to like inspect they everything. Inspect We're like, it, yeah. we could push this off. We don't need to do this right away. He's like, let's take a nap. Yeah. No. He didn't. So anyway, so we're just powering through, and I just knew July. Well, July 1st comes, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me scoot back a little bit. So one day I'm driving in the car, and I just felt like Jacob's a good name. I like that name, Jacob. I just think that's a good name. So I'm talking. I was kind of like, oh, that's a good name. So Dave and I are talking. I'm like, hey, if we have a boy, what do you think if we name him Jacob? And we have a friend who kind of battled some infertility for many years, and his name is Jake. And so Dave was a little bit sensitive to that and thought maybe it wouldn't be the kindest thing for us to name our son Jacob when we have this friend going through um, this battle on his own. And I totally agreed with Dave, but I just kept thinking about Jacob. So every time that I would pray, I would be praying like, Lord, if it's a boy or Jacob, Jacob. It was just always in my mind. I think I brought it up like six times to Dave, and he was like, you know, think about the effects that that might have on our friend. And he was right. I totally agreed with him. So July 1st comes. Um, and we are nowhere near completed for our certification. Our home was certified, but our family was not. So the state approved us, but the county had yet to approve us. So we were months away from being completed. And so I was super sad because I'm thinking, man, I really thought it was July. Um, but I was also happy that I had kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. Um, and so July 2nd, I'm sitting on the couch drinking a cup of coffee, and my phone rings. And I pick it up, and it's a friend that I had known from years past. And she's like, hey, Desiree, um, I have a friend who has a foster child that they're looking a permanent home for. They're looking to find a permanent home for him. And I thought about you. And so I was wondering if you would be interested in this child. And I was like, give me the number. So she gave me the phone number to this foster mom. I contacted Dave. We didn't know anything about him. We didn't know how old he was, nothing. But we thought, yeah, let's give her a call. So I called Carolyn, was her name, and Dave called the foster father, David. His name was David. Who, who you all met during the dedication. Who you all met during the dedication. Yeah. Um, and so I began to talk to Carolyn about this boy, and she told me how old he was, and she just started to talk to me about why she wasn't going to be keeping him and just the way that they felt called to temporary foster care. And I was sharing with her our story, and we just kind of had a moment on the phone. I was actually sitting upstairs in the children's classroom during this conversation. All these little moments were so clear to me. But I'm sitting there and talking to her. Um, and she said, I have to tell you before we schedule a day to meet him that he has some medical issues. Um, and so she just started to rattle off two or three medical issues that he had. And I said, that's okay, because it's totally okay with me. I just disregarded everything Dave said <laughs> to me on the beach that day, right? <coughs> but I mean, he already knew at that point, right? Yeah. I just do what I want. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 I I'm totally I kidding. I'm totally kidding. So, yeah. so, she so I called Dave, and I yeah. went over the medical issues with him, and he said, no, that's, I, am t I feel like we are completely capable of handling um, those medical issues. And so we scheduled a day, uh, July 4th of 2014 to meet our son. And she said, before we hung up, she said, well, don't you want a picture of him? And I was like, sure. So she sent me a text message. And I have a picture of that, of that text she sent me. How do you not just take that baby, huh? I know it. So underneath the text, she wrote, here's Jacob. Um, and I realized I didn't ask his name. And she didn't share his name. 
Um, and I just knew, I just looked at that text, and I saw those words, here's Jacob, and I just knew in that moment, this is the boy that God told me about. This is the boy that I knew was for me. Well, it wasn't that easy. As I told you guys, we weren't certified yet, um, so it took months for us to transition Jacob from her home to our home, and in that time, I would get phone calls from Carolyn. They were scary phone calls, like, just took Jacob to see the specialist today, and he has this other medical condition that he'll have for the rest of his life, and there are some ramifications that we are unaware of at this point, but they could be lifelong, you know, concerns for him and lifelong ramifications for you and Dave. So I said, okay, and so I went and met with a specialist, and then get another phone call. Jacob passed out. He's been admitted to the hospital um, and yet diagnosed with another condition. Um, and so, okay, you know. And so our, our little boy who had two to three medical issues when we first said yes now had nine medical conditions. They just kept stacking up and stacking up. And every single time that I talked to Carolyn on the phone, she would say, Desiree, you are not committed to this child. You could say no. You do not have to say yes. Um, this is a lot to think about. This is a lot to pray about. It's a lot to process. So I just want you to know it's okay to say no. Um, and I just, I knew, like, how could I say no? This boy is the boy that God told me about. And I think about that, you know, God telling me he was going to have some medical issues. And I, I really feel like he did not say that to warn me, but he said that to comfort me. Like, when you are hit with issue after issue after issue for three months while you're transitioning this little boy, do not be afraid because he is the one that I have called you to mother. And I really, I really felt like that was true. And so um, I have a third picture, because October 2000, no, oh, that was him, I forgot. How cute is that? That was in the doctor's office, right, when he was admitted, or the hospital. Uh, okay, all right, so then the next picture, actually, I'm skipping ahead, that was the day, October 28th of 2014, we signed paperwork and had Jacob placed in our home. We officially became his foster parents. I took that picture of us walking home from the park. We picked up Jacob, signed all the paperwork we needed to sign, put him in the car, and drove to a staff meeting. We're like, welcome to ministry, buddy. Like, yeah. this is super exciting. Meet your new <laughs> friends. And so that's just kind of how we did it. But So October 28, 2014, we signed paperwork, and Jacob was placed in our home. Um, one of the, the trials that we had yet to fully understand about having a foster child placed in your home, especially in Jacob's case, is that his biological mother still had legal rights to him. She still had visitation with him. And that visitation was monitored, and I decided early on that I wanted to be the monitor for that visitation. So for 26 months, um, I sat across the table from his birth mom for three hours a week. And that was not always fun. <laughs> but we ate together, we laughed together, um, we had some pretty deep conversations about forgiveness and redemption. Um, and her biggest fear was how Jacob would feel about her, how he would feel about her giving up on him. Um, she wanted him to know she didn't give up on him, how he would feel about being removed from his home and placed into the home of a stranger. And she had all these things that she just would always tell me were her fears, um, how, he would, how he would feel about her when he was older. And I could say nothing to her to promise that he wouldn't feel those, because I can't, you know? I have no idea how he's going to process that when he's older, but I could tell her about Jesus, 
And that's exactly what I did. I told her about his life and his death on the cross. I told her about his resurrection and about the availability of his kingdom right here with us. I told her that we in our home try to live lives that mimic his redemption and forgiveness and that Jake would grow up in a home knowing how much he was loved by her, loved by us, and loved by God. And although he didn't, that didn't take away her pain at all, I do think it brought her comfort. Um, and then I had, I don't want to say privilege because it was very painful, but I got to sit there with her the day the judge terminated her rights um, as his mom. And I will admit I longed for that day when the mom's rights are terminated. I am no longer legally obligated to have a weekly visitation with her. We could start to establish a little bit of normal, normalcy? Yeah, Nor- that's whatever. A that's a good word. Um, for our family, and I really looked forward to that day. So I went to court excited. We had longed for this for 26 months. Um, and then I sat there, and the judge terminated her rights, and it was awful. It makes me cry, even when I think about it now. Just, I had done the hard work of mothering this boy. I, he was already my son, as far as I was concerned at that point. But to see the brokenness and the pain that she was going through was really, was really heartbreaking. Um, and I just got to stand there with her and hug her and tell her that I loved her. And um, I walked the long, and I assure you, very difficult um, road of not just loving the orphan, but also loving the woman who made him that way. And our relationship is difficult. I've been frustrated at her more than I have been gracious. Um, I assure you of that. Um, but we decided that an open adoption was the road that we wanted to go. Um, We knew that Esmeralda was a big part of Jacob's story, and we didn't want to take that away from him. So just like any family member who isn't always the easiest to be around. uh, Why are you looking at me? Well, (laughs) I wasn't talking about you. That's for Father's Day. You just turned and looked right at me. (laughs) I saw that. Because I knew you could relate, honey. They They relate, too. So um, just like any family member that's not easy to be around, um, we welcomed Esmeralda into our lives. Um, and we did that from a safe distance. We did that on our terms because we can forgive her, but we can remember honestly that she was removed from his care for a reason. And we want her to be part of his life, um, but we want that to happen in a safe and loving environment. Um, and then I have another picture um, on, where is it? It's a picture of our adoption. After 889 days in our home, <coughs> And 1,425 days in foster care. On April 4th, just one month ago, we adopted Jacob. And then just five days after his adoption, his previous foster father, David, who you all met when he did his dedication, came to the church and dedicated Jacob. Because we couldn't imagine any other act coming before that. So it was only natural that we would give him back to the one who gave him to us. I've got a microphone. So we wanted to share with you... um, the whole story, even though some of you might already know that whole story. And the reason why we wanted to share it with you is because some of you might not have seen the spiritual element beneath the surface of the story. The whole idea that there's a little bit more, there's a calling there, there's assurances by God, God is walking with us through this journey. We're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a mom on mission, but just as you hear that today, I also want you to think, this. If you're here and you're a father, there's fathers on mission. And if you're here, you don't have any kids, there, there's, it's okay. All of this stuff can apply to you too. So if, if you don't relate with mom on a mission, but you're, you're just a single dad, this relates to you too. 
you can just say dad on mission. And uh, it, this goes with you too. It's not necessarily specific to, um, to uh, your role in your family, but essentially I want to tell you, tell you this. One of the things that I noticed going through this whole process is just how smart my wife is in this. And we have different areas. There's, we took the microphone away from her. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. If you feel free to jump in whenever, whenever you'd like to. <laughs> Uh, but I want to just begin with telling a story, and poor Cindy Johansson, I told, I told her this morning I was going to tell this story. So every now and then I, I, I leave here, and I go pick up the kids from school, and I rush back home, drop them off, and the, the other day I went and dropped the kids off at home, and Desiree had Rowan, who's John and Laura's uh, son, uh, who's in their care, and <coughs> excuse me, will hopefully be adopted at some point, and uh, she said, hey, can you run Row?" back to John and Laura's house and meet Cindy there and, and drop Rowan off. And it was on my way back here to the church. So I had yeah, no problem. We'll just throw him in my car. I'll drop him back off. And, and I'm like handing off Rowan and Cindy just looks at me. She goes, you are nothing without your wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I stood there and she goes, no, 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 no. Let me qualify that. That sounded super rude. And she says, I don't mean it. It sounds super rude. She is so organized. She has things on the ball. She's got, she's doing all this stuff behind the scenes. She's incredible. And, and it's, it's totally true. Like, I look back and go, how do you do what you do? This is amazing. And, and so some of the stuff I'm sharing with you literally are lessons from me going like, whoa, where did that come from? That was, that was brilliant. And what Cindy said is absolutely true. Cindy, I didn't know you were going to be here today. I was going to throw you under the bus without you knowing. But now that you're here, I'm glad you know you're a good sport. Moms with a mission are driven by calling. That's their first fill in the blank. Moms on a mission are driven by calling. A calling, the next fill in, is a distinct and definite ask of God on your life. Now, some of you are parents and you never said, God, please make us parents. You just became a parent. If you have a child, you have a distinct and definite ask upon God in your life. And that is to raise and care for that child. If you've had a mother, which many of you all have had a mother, you've realized that that mother has had a very huge impact on you because she treated you as a calling. And that's one of the things that we've, that we've realized. So moms with a mission are driven by a calling. Same dads with a mission are driven by a calling. Uh, families on mission are driven by a calling. We're, when, when everything else falls apart, we can rely on our calling. That's true with ministry, too. There's been times in ministry it's been difficult. When everything falls apart, you go back, what did God call me to do? Okay, I'm going to do that. You go back to times in your marriage. When things are difficult in your marriage, things start falling apart. What did I say yes to? Go back to your vows. That's your calling. And that's what you go back to when things are difficult. So when you hear her story, Desiree's story, our story, you never... She never let up. In the midst of battles, there were times that she came to me just sobbing because we had a social worker one time say, when Jacob was already in our home for like a year, say, he, you're never going to be able to adopt him. He's never going to go with you, so just get it out of your head now. I mean, just a, a rude person on the phone. Tell Des, just get it out of your head. He's not going to stay with you. And she never wavered. She never gave up. When times were tough, we just simply went back to that calling. Okay, this kid is ours. We've, we've committed. He's our child. 
and we just fought and fought and fought for him. And one of the verses as I was thinking through all this is, is one of my favorite verses out of the book of Micah. And it's Micah 6, 8, and it, it simply says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It is super convenient whenever the Bible gives us like, this is what God requires of you. So as a parent, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. As a mom, as a dad, as a kid, these three things apply. And as I was looking at what is a mom on mission, the first thing is this, and this is a, a fill-in, a mom on mission loves mercy. A mom on mission loves mercy. Mercy is restorative, isn't it? We all know what mercy is, right? It's when you have in your power to harm someone or to show kindness to that person, and mercy is the kindness side of that. But you have in your power to do something to this person. Now, when we, when, in Jacob's situation, um, love and mercy built this kid up. I mean, when we first got, everybody goes into foster care with their own story. Let me back up. Everybody goes into foster care with their own story. Kids go into foster care. Um, we, we were just at a clinic the other night, and, um, and it's the clinic where kids go to and the initial intake because they need to be checked out medically. And it's still one of Jacob's doctors, and so we had to go back to L.A. to go to this clinic because he had this cough, and we got it all worked out. But it was just so sad to see these kids coming through, just with their bags packed and just walking into the doctors to get checked out. Everybody comes in with their own story, and it's usually pretty devastating. If you're in foster care, you've been abused, you've been hurt, you've been neglected. There's some sort of abuse. There's some sort of trauma. There's hunger. There's thirst. There's, you, you name it. It's there. Well, Jacob was in the NICU for two months. He was with another foster family for two months before, and he was with a different foster family, the Holcombs, who you all met on the 13 months before we got legal custody of him. Then when, when we got him, he was 17 months old, and he weighed 17 pounds. You probably saw that picture of me holding his hand, walking with him. That was the only way that he could walk. He couldn't walk on his own. 17 months old, and he couldn't walk on his own. My girls were late bloomers walking, and they were 15 months. And everybody went, oh, man, those, those kids are too, too late to learn how to walk. Um, or they're late bloomers, whatever. But Jacob was 17 months, and he could not walk on his own yet. And he only weighed 17 pounds. And it wasn't the fault of the previous foster parents. I mean, he was in the hospital. He was in a f- large family. There was a lot going on in that family. But then, you know, when we got him, he would wake up four to five times a night. He had chronic insomnia because of something called optic nerve hypoplasia. So we worked on this, and we worked on it. And, and, you know, when we first got him, he couldn't talk either. And within a week, he was walking and talking. We now regret the whole talking thing. (laughs) That's not true, but... (laughs) Five-hour drive, okay? This is a couple years ago. We were going up to Hume, like, five-hour drive. Daddy, truck. Daddy, truck. You're on the 99 and the 5 freeway, and and there's trucks everywhere. Daddy, truck. Truck. Five hours long. Close your eyes and go to sleep. We don't care about the truck. But I think this is what a loving family can do in a foster care situation. There's this verse out of Joel that I want to throw up on the screen right now. And I just think of this whenever I think about kids who have 
really thrived in foster care is, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young and the old locusts, the other locusts, the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. That, that verse says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. It doesn't say I'll repay you for the grain. It doesn't say I'm going to give back your field. It doesn't say I'm going to give you back your hunger or your lost wages. It says the years. And what does that mean? I think it means something about the future, not the past. I will restore the future for you. And that's one of the things we noticed with Jacob. It's like, wow. I mean, people kept commenting to us, he's making so much progress. What are you doing with him? And we didn't know what we were doing with him. We just loved him. And our kids loved him. And, and we didn't know what was going on there. But we know that his future was being restored because we were loving him and he was loved by our kids. When you love mercy, when you're a mom on mission or a dad on mission or family on mission, you could restore a whole life. And I'm not trying to stand up here and be like, we're Jacob's saviors or anything like this, because we've seen this in foster family after foster family after foster family when they love these children, take them in, and they take them from abuse to love. The difference that it makes in the life of that child, it literally redeems their future and restores the years that the locusts have eaten. A mom on mission walks humbly. A mom on mission walks humbly. Have you ever noticed that arrogant adults have arrogant children? That's not a smart move, right, to criticize kids in front of church. But have you ever noticed that? That arrogance breeds arrogance. If you're a teacher, maybe you have. You see these kids, they're coming at you, they're talking at you, and you're like, man, what is going on here? And then you meet their parents and you go, oh, okay, I get that. Well, I've noticed that when you enter the foster system as a resource parent, you have no other course of action other than to walk humbly because you are at the mercy of the system. And even as a parent, without the whole system, the foster system, all that, when you, when you walk humbly, that's something your kids will do as well. Um, I want to tell you something about the impact that the foster, children, foster system had on our girls. You know, we were, uh, my number one concern about foster care was, what is it going to do to my two girls? What is it going to do to our, our, our uh, biological babies? I was very concerned about this. And had I known what the impact would be, I would have jumped at this opportunity years ago. But Lucy used to tell me, Dad, I want to have 100 babies. And I want to drive a school bus. And I was really excited to be the grandfather of 100 babies. <laughs> and honestly, to have a school bus in the family. Because that would have worked out great, um, especially when you have 100 babies. But now our kids really look at, at their futures and they say this. They say, Dad, we want to have a couple babies, but we want to be foster parents. We want to adopt kids too. And, and we're like, we didn't plan on that. We didn't do anything great. We didn't know that walking humbly with God would, would make our kids want to do the same thing. And, you know, it's just that old verse, Proverbs 22, you raise up a child in the way they ought to go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And it, we were amazed when our kids tell us this. Now, they're still young, and they might make a dis- different decision, and that's fine. Uh, nobody has to, to, to foster or anything like that, but we just thought it was amazing that when mom walks humbly before God, kids do the same exact thing. 
for a short time, we had Jacob's a baby biological sister. And I think I still have a picture of, of that. There it is. That's Emma holding Jayla. And just what this short time did, and some of you remember this, some of you have held Jayla, um, just this short time of having a brand new baby in our home, just this little girl, Jayla, they name their babies Jayla still. They talk about Jayla all the time. They pray for Jayla. They think about her. And it's just, they're so humble. It's not about them. It's about others. It's really incredible. The prayer that we have as a family, that we sit down to dinner, that we, when we put kids to bed at night is, Father, help us to be the type of family that makes others happy that you made this world and put us in it. Lord, help us to be the type of family that makes others happy you made this world and put us in it. One of the things that we've realized is as that prayer, we hope that prayer is, is coming to fruition in our family. That people will go, yeah, we want to we be a family on mission like you guys. We want to do that. And we don't mean that in an arrogant type of way or anything, but we mean that in a, a mission way. We want people to be on mission with Jesus, with our whole family. And foster care is just one of the ways that you could be on mission with Jesus in your family. And a lot, lastly, you might notice that I skipped that word justice and we put it at the end. A mom on mission fights for justice. You know this to be true. Any good mother has some good fight in her, right? Amen? All right. We have spoken about justice here. Justice is simply the quality of making things right. Things that are broken, making them right again. And when you go into the foster system, you're going to see a lot of brokenness. You see a lot of things broken. But when you have this continual fight for justice going on, not, not just like, I want to be right for me, but this is what God's justice really looks like. This is what it means to love God with your whole heart, with your whole life. When, when you have that going on in your family, you, you begin to see things in a little bit different way. One of the things that's wrong with this world is racism. And I think I would have told you probably four or five years ago that I think it's on the decline and things like that. But then when you begin to have a mixed race family like we do, we start to notice things that people say. And, and thankfully, our church is great. I mean, we haven't heard anything but awesome stuff from you guys. But we've heard some things from close friends. That, and I've had to say, you know I have a Mexican son, right? And there's that fight for justice. Like, that's not right what you're saying. And those people would have never in a million years said, I'm racist. But when you begin to point it out to them, they go, they stop saying that kind of stuff. Because you fight for justice. A lot of people just don't realize what they're saying. Some of those coarse jokes that people have. I mean, that's not even the extent of the justice we had to fight for. But that's one of the things that in our family we have to deal with and we've had to deal with. Is people making comments and now we're real sensitive to comments. I mean, we hear it all the time. And we, I, I don't think, I think maybe five years ago or something, I would have said, oh no, it's probably on the decline in America. But then just try having a family that has a mixed race in it. It's incredible. So foster care is one of the ways we act justly. Desiree had to fight for Jacob. Literally fight. She had to call on foster workers, on the social workers on the phone. She had to beg and plead in front of attorneys and judges. And, and you know, I, I say Desiree because I was at work most of the time, and she is on the phone making calls, begging with social workers to change situations, to do this, to do that, 
to give him a different classification, to help him see his medical care. She had to fight for him to get everything that he needed. And because of that, Jacob's better today because he had a mom who fought for him. In our local community, one of the ways that Jacob has affected our church is that we have people in our church who have said, I, I want to foster, and they've, they've always wanted to, but once, once uh, De- Desiree is able to kind of like walk them through the system. So the criminals, John, wave your hand. John, where are you? Back there. John's got a son named Rowan, and, and then Marlia and Josh, where are you? They've got Brian. They're right over here. They've got Brian. And then we've got Olivia, who I'm not sure if Olivia is here today, but, but Olivia has Desi. And so one of the things that we've noticed is that our own community is something that we're beginning to really care about. And that's really cool as a church to see a church come together and say, man, we really care about these kids, and we can have a real impact on our community through foster care. Now, one of the things we've talked about today is calling. But calling comes in very various forms. It doesn't necessarily have to come like Desiree got, you know, word from God on the beach where she's reading a book. It doesn't necessarily need to come from that. Calling could simply come out of what the Bible already tells us to do. So here's the great thing about calling, and this is the last fill in the blank here. You don't need to feel called to do the things that the Bible tells us to do already. You don't have to feel called to do the things that the Bible calls us to do. And here's what I mean by that. James 1.27 says this, Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is to do this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It doesn't say religion is this. If you feel particularly called to it, then you should care for orphans and widows. But if you don't, then just say, I don't feel called to that. That's your excuse. It doesn't say that. It just, it simply says, this is what religion looks like. This is what it looks like when you follow Jesus. To care for these people. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of you today need to go open your homes and you're like, man, I just got my kids, uh, I, I just got my kids out of the house. I, I've got three spare bedrooms. Don't tell Pastor Dave. He's going to send foster kids there. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you need to do that. There's a lot of ways. You could support foster families. You could support social workers. You could pray for people. There's so many different ways that you could do this. There's, there's ways in which you could become a court-appointed advocate for kids. You could go to kids and just talk with them through the foster care process. There's McKinley Children's Home. There's, there's um, a girl's home, which I'm blanking on the name, in, in Laverne, that you could go to and volunteer and work with. There's so many different avenues that you could do. It doesn't necessarily mean opening your home. But you could have a huge impact with these kids. <coughs> what James is trying to tell us is that caring for orphans and widows are simply part of the deal. Now, in the church, we do pretty good about caring for widows. I mean, we don't do the greatest, but we do pretty good because we know about them. They have a voice, and we can hear from them, and we can help them out as much as we can. But orphans are harder because they don't really have a voice. At one point, Jacob was called a legal orphan, and that just broke my heart because he was living in my house. How could he be a legal orphan? But this is one of the things that God calls us to do. So one of the responses today is, is simply this. We're, I'm just going to take a wild shot at the dark here and think, maybe there's somebody here where God is tugging on your heart to be a foster parent or to be a resource parent. We've got forms. I went down to the DCFS office this week, and I got a bunch of forms. And it's just information. You know, it's just, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what you have to do. 
If you're interested, call this number. And we're going to have those back on our welcome table. Maybe that's not you at the moment, but there's different ways you can help. I'd love for you to come talk to me. We can explore different ways in which you can help in the foster system. Because I think this is just a great opportunity to reach our world for Christ and to change the world through these children. So as, as we close here, I just want to thank you as mothers here for being on mission. I, I think about that verse, walk humbly. Isn't that why we love mothers? Because they put themselves, they put themselves behind us. My mother always put us first. Even though, you know, we were, that's kids, that's what you do. You're like, I want this, I want, I want to be first, is basically what you're yelling as a child. And your mom always puts you first. So let's take mom's example today and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Father, as we close this time out, Lord, as we hear from you, I pray that you would be clear with us. Lord, that you would speak to us and that we might hear from you. Lord, maybe you're calling some people here today to, to simply be obedient to the scriptures and, and to work on adoption. Lord, maybe you're um, leading some people to, to simply just be more on mission with their own kids. Whatever that is, Lord, we pray that you would just continually impress that on our hearts and that you would change some lives today and that we might do that more with you. God, we love you. We thank you for moms and for all that they've meant to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.